Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, I just want to give some background on where we are in this series and um, kind of what started it. Uh, I think it was last year, end of last year, early beginning of this year, uh, is when they started publicizing uh, about this Mr. Rogers movie coming out. And um, when I met with the board in April, I asked them, could we do some outreach around this movie since one, it's about kindness, showing kindness to others, very biblical. Two, Mr. Rogers is, you know, he was an ordained minister from Pittsburgh. And uh, I assumed in my head that lots of churches in the Pittsburgh area would be doing outreach around it. So I talked to the board, I was like, hey, um, they trimmed down my helicopter-sized budget that I wanted to spend uh, on it. Uh, but then, after they approved it, uh, I came back and I said, look, there's also another opportunity for us to start putting our messages on the radio, uh, on Word FM. So, uh, and they were like, well, you can't have both. Uh, so we took money from this outreach and directed it towards putting the messages on the radio. But the whole idea was that we would uh, spend the month of November. Normally, during November, we do messages around food. We did uh, about the Hunger Games and how people are hungry and how can a church respond to that a few years ago. And we did uh, about the feasts listed in the Bible a few years ago. Uh, but this year, I really wanted to do about showing kindness to others. Because we've seen, especially in our area, because of the issue with the fire halls, uh, the election, and all this kind of stuff where people who were God-honoring, loving people just were kind of not being nice to one another, going at it, because they were on different sides of different arguments, and that's outside of all the regular political stuff. So I was like, let's spend the month talking about kindness and doing outreach and all this stuff, uh, which we didn't get to do all the outreach that I wanted, but we did spend the month talking about kindness. So we started uh, by looking at this parable that even non-Christians are familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? If you use that phrase, they may not know exactly what it means, but a lot of them are familiar with it, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we looked at not just that parable, but the basis for it, which is God's command from Leviticus to love your neighbor. Uh, and we looked at how Old Testament and New Testament, right, both, no matter where you go in the Bible, God's command is that we are supposed to love our neighbor, right? It's not just a New Testament thing. It's not an Old Testament thing that has been done away with. It is something that God put out for the nation of Israel, and then Jesus put out for everyone who wants to follow him, that you're supposed to love your neighbor, right? And then uh, we look specifically at, and I'm not going to go through them all, in the book of Leviticus, uh, where God had said, don't take vengeance on or bear grudge against any of your people. Rather, love your neighbor as yourself. I am Adonai, meaning the Lord. And we looked at all the previous verses where he kind of not only said you're supposed to love your neighbor, but where he defined who is your neighbor, right? And he, he gave examples of, hey, leave out food for the, the, the poor or the foreigner. If someone is disabled, if someone works for you or you work for someone else, all these instances where he said you're supposed to show kindness to them and do things for them, 
And then we looked at where Jesus in, in the parable of the Good Samaritan kind of said the same thing. His, that whole parable is about him explaining to someone who is your neighbor. And when you look at both uh, Old Testament and New Testament, it's basically anyone you come into relational contact with, that's your neighbor. Right? In the Old Testament, it was anyone who you lived with, uh, the nation of Israel, even the foreigners, rich, poor, doesn't matter. If you live with them and they're in the nation of Israel, they're your neighbor. And Jesus took that to another level, basically said anyone you come into contact with, you're supposed to show kindness to them. Right? Uh, and we looked at, and I won't go through the entire thing again, but in this parable, he ends it. And this is the message version, uh, and I'll tell you why I put it there in the message version in a minute. After he told this parable, and we talked about this last week, uh, the, it says the religion scholar, some say the scribe, some say the expert in the law. Uh, and we talked about how the fact that Jesus, although he explained to him who was his neighbor, this guy should have known it if he was an expert in the law. And then after telling that parable, Jesus said, so what do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man who was attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the, religious, the religion scholar responded. And then Jesus said, yeah, go and do the same. So in this parable, Jesus said, you know, hey, there's this guy who's, who's going down. And we looked at the parable. We looked at the differences at the people who stopped to help the robber. None of the religious folk did. The priest didn't. The Levites didn't. But someone who was different, uh, the Samaritan who was different, some say racially, definitely culturally, uh, and, and we talked about the fact that uh, some theologians believe that when people were robbed in that area, some people ascribed it to the Samaritans. We also looked at the financial difference because this guy spent a lot of money paying for someone to be you know, taken care of, and he put him up in a hotel. And then Jesus didn't say, this guy is your neighbor. He asked the person he was telling this to, so which one became a neighbor? Which one did the right thing? And he came to the realization, he said, well, it was the one who treated him kindly. And the reason I put it in the message version is because some of your uh, Bibles may say the one who showed him mercy. And that Greek word that's used for mercy also means to show kindness. And the reason I put it in this version is because I don't think Jesus was just saying, hey, if you're a Christian and you come across somebody who's hurt or who's in need, you should help them. But that's the only time you're to show kindness to them or treat them like a neighbor, right? I, I don't think that that holds up biblically. I think he was saying, hey, anyone who you come across and you can show kindness to them, that's treating them like a neighbor. He actually ramps it up and says, uh, don't just treat them with kindness, but love them like you love yourself. And here, here's, here's the reality is that uh, for some of us, it's hard to love people we don't know or even some people we, don't, we do know, right? We got to God, I need your Holy Spirit because I don't get along with this person, so if you want me to love them, I, I really need you to help me out with this. But it doesn't take a whole lot just to show human decency and kindness to other people. Even people we don't agree with politically, even people we don't agree with religiously or culturally or if they're racially different or if they're in a different financial class. We can all take the time and just show kindness to someone so I thought, what better thing to do as we're rolling into Thanksgiving than to talk about ways that we can show kindness to people in our circles of influence. It may be your literal neighbor 
which is what most of us think of when we hear love your neighbor as yourself, or it may be what Jesus intended is that anyone you come into contact with, the, the butcher that you normally see all the time, the, the baker, the candlestick maker, uh, we were talking about at small group, who can we show kindness to and share and show the love of Christ to in our circles of influence? And I'm like, I spend more hours in the gym than most people spend at work. So maybe I should start showing kindness to some of those people, right? And, and kind of getting to know them and talking to them. And, and I have. And there are places where you guys spend a lot of time, people you may hunt with or bowl with or golf with or people that you may just know casually, favorite restaurant, that waitress who's there all the time. Is there a way that you can show kindness to them? And let me reiterate this. This isn't about getting them to come to a Sunday celebration, right? That's, that's not why you're showing kindness. I'm showing kindness to you so that you'll come to church on Sunday so that our church will grow. That's the wrong answer. That, that's not what's supposed to be done. I'm showing kindness to you because God showed kindness to me. And it's the right thing to do. It's the way that we're supposed to treat people. So I wanted to share quickly, I was going to do seven of these, but I shortened it to three just for the sake of time. Uh, three ways that we can show kindness to people. One of the first ways is inviting people, where I say neighbor, neighbor, butcher, baker, favorite waitress, whoever that you relationally come into contact with into your life. And this is a hard one because we're all busy. We all have stuff to do. We have families. We have work. We have, you know, stuff we're trying to get done. And so the thought of, hey, I've got to spend time with another person and invite them into my life. Plus, if you're like me, not all people are nice and you don't want to spend time with them, right? But invite them into your life. Just, just, just get to know them. Just spend some time with them. Uh, let me share this with you quickly. Two things uh, really quick. First, I want to share this passage of scripture with you because before uh, I was talking with someone about this and I was like, it, it takes... It takes, I'm a natural introvert. I don't like getting to know people. I don't like talking to people I don't know. Um, I, I sweat like crazy uh, when I'm talking. It's not funny, it's true. <laughs> when, 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 especially if we're at an event where I have to preach with people I don't know. That's one of the reasons why I try to get a lot of you to go. So I see familiar faces. I don't sweat as much. I don't get as nervous. I, I try to get them to give me like a lapel mic because when my hands shake, when I'm nervous, and so I'm, I'm talking like this, and it doesn't sound good. So I just don't, I'm not that comfortable getting to know people, right? And a lot of us aren't. So it might take a sacrifice to, to say, I'm going to try and intentionally get to know people, and intentionally talk to people, and intentionally invite more people into my life. And there's... Um, in the book of Hebrews, years ago, we went through the book of Hebrews, but I'm going to share this verse from Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews is talking to predominantly Jewish people who are Christ followers, and he's talking about showing a sacrifice with your mouth. In other words, being willing to talk about the fact that you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he says, based on the fact that Jesus sacrificed so much for us, we should be able to offer a sacrifice of praise with our lips, be able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christ follower. I acknowledge Jesus Christ died for me. But then he adds this, but do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In other words, yes, I I'm, 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 should be willing to say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, but I also should be willing to step outside of whatever boundary I have 
whether it's sacrificing you know, my self-comfort, my time, or my finances, to do good and show kindness to other people. And, and throughout the book, he talks about the fact that Jesus you know, is way above everything, way above the angels, way above the law, way above all this. And he talks about this sacrifice. And then he says, yeah, but Jesus did that for us. Surely we can take the time in this scenario or maybe the money to invite someone out for coffee or to get to know someone. And it is going to cost us something to invite another person into our life. But when we show that kind of kindness, it comes back. Let me share this story with you because we were talking about um, this movie. Uh, when I told the board that, hey, we're going to switch and, and we're going to devote the money towards Word FM, um, so that we can get our messages on the radio, and we're like, we'll do this for a year, and um, it's got to be a mission-minded thing. We may never see anyone who walks in this door and says, I came because I heard you on the radio, but you may see people who end up hearing it, and, and, and it may transform their lives. They hear the gospel, maybe they haven't heard it before, or they decide, maybe I do need to go back to church. They won't go into church, they were just, hey, this radio is my church, and then suddenly they decide... I'm going to go back to church. And I've heard a couple of stories from you guys about people that are hearing it, and we've gotten calls from people saying, hey, I heard your messages on the radio, and they're great. One guy called, and he said, um, heard it on the radio, uh, the series we did on fear, and something about it really touched his life. And so he's like, can you send me a CD from that message? And I said, I can send you the whole series, uh, which in my mind, I wasn't thinking when we put it on the radio, I'm going to have to break out the CDs and start making CDs again because we put those away years ago, but it was worth it. Sent, sent him the CD. And then uh, a lady called. She said she heard the messages on the radio. Uh, not, not actually not her. One of someone either who works with her or works for her. I forget which. Heard it. Was in a conversation with her. She decided to call and ask me about it. I said, Yeah, we did this series on fear. She said, Can you send me a copy of that message, and I'll give one to him. And can you send a copy for me? And I said, Sure. And she, same thing. They always say, Hey, can I make a donation? And my thing was, we, we, don't, we don't charge for the gospel, right? You don't have to pay to hear the gospel. It should be free. She said, well, I, I would love to make a donation. I was like, if you feel led by God to do so, feel free, but there's no cost for us sharing the gospel with you. But then, uh, even though there was some benefit from people hearing this on the radio, I still wanted to do this outreach because it's Pittsburgh, it's Mr. Rogers, so... I hit up Gary, uh, I asked Sharon, we were at a Bible study, and I asked Sharon, I was like, you know what, when you get home, talk to Larry, tell him I need about 300 bucks, because I still want to do some outreach for this movie, there's such a great opportunity, and she was like, no, you already spent your money on Word FM, which was okay, and she was right, and I was like, but think about this, because uh, we do it at Panera, and uh, it's the same lady, I don't even know her name, same lady that comes, usually we're there till they're closing, and she's like, hey, can I get you guys anything else? We're about to close down, I'm not rushing you out. Can I get you guys some more coffee or anything else? And we're usually like, no, we're good. She's very nice to us. And I was like, Shan, wouldn't it be great if we could turn around and say no, but thank you so much. Here's some tickets to this movie, Mr. Rogers movie, Pittsburgh movie, just because you've been so nice to us. She's like, yes, that would be great, but no, you can't do it. So yes, 
she shut me down, which I'm grateful that she did, truth be told, and I'm grateful when Gary shuts me down. Whenever I go to a conference or anything, uh, Christy makes me take Gary so that he ensures I don't spend your church money on, ooh, that's a great idea, sign us up, which he has been grateful for that. Um, but, but I still wanted to do this movie uh, and, and, and figure out a way to, like, just, if we couldn't do anything else, just invite people as a way of saying, you know, thanks. And so one of the people who heard us on Word FM sent a card um, with a check in it. And uh, she said, thank you for preaching the truth. Here is the gift for you. She made it out to me. And I was like, oh, great. Maybe it'll be enough to buy a couple of movie tickets. Now, normally I probably would have, Christy would tell you, bunches of other stuff that I could think of to spend money on, because I'm a spender. But when I did the math in my head, it was enough to buy, how many tickets do you think? Specifically, 37 tickets which you guys know how much I love the numbers three and seven. So I was like, this may not be God speaking to me, but I'm going to take it as a sign. And so used it to buy 37 tickets and told you guys, hey, invite your friends, invite your family members, invite people that you know just as an act of kindness. Not, again, not to say, hey, come to our church, come to the Sunday celebration. That's not what it's about but just to invite someone into your life, maybe a neighbor, a coworker, family member you haven't been able to connect with in a while or whatever, just as an act of kindness, because that's what God tells us to do. And again, it takes a sacrifice, whether it be financially, whether it be stepping out of your comfort zone, but it's something that God expects us to do and that we should do just to show kindness to other people. And these last ones, really quick, is just listening to your neighbor. I mean, there are people that we talk to, and, and I've heard this before, you probably heard it too, and I don't remember who said it, someone who said that, you know, Christians are all, you know, great about, hey, how are you doing? But they never stay around to hear how people are doing. And that impacted me over the last couple of days. So I, I, I found myself doing it, I don't remember, I think it was at the gym, spent a lot of time there, where as I was checking in, uh, the guy was like, how are you doing? And I was like, great, how are you? And I find myself saying doing as I was walking away. Like I wasn't even paying attention to them. So I intentionally, last couple of times, and they were like, how are you doing? Because they're very nice and hospitable. I would stop and I'd say, great, how are you doing? And they would look up and they were shocked to see me still standing there. Because nobody does it. And I watched other people, how are you? And they, as they're saying it, they're still walking away. And it just gave me an opportunity to engage with them further, to listen to them more, to hear them. Uh, Jesus used this phrase that some of you are familiar with, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many, or let him listen, how many are familiar with that phrase? Yeah, he says it a bunch of times. Some of your versions may say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, let him listen, let him hear what the Spirit says. It's throughout the Bible. He used it a lot in parables. But then he used it one time, um, about John the Baptist, where it wasn't a parable. It was like, you guys need to listen to what I'm saying. So I'm going to put this up here real quick. In the Gospel of Matthew, and we talked about John the Baptist before. John was in prison, right? And he's like, hey, uh, my whole life is supposed to be dedicated to pointing people to Jesus. And I pointed people to Jesus. But now I'm in prison. So he sent two guys to say, hey, 
can you go ask Jesus, is he really the one? Is he really the Messiah? Because if he is, what am I doing in prison? And so Jesus says to them, he says, you know what? Don't go back and tell them, yes, I'm the one. Go back and tell them what you have seen that shows that I am the one. I don't want you to just go back and say, yes, Jesus said he's the one. I want you to go back and Jesus said, tell them the people that have been healed, the blind that have been made, see, the lame people that were made to walk. Because Jesus wanted those people also, hey, when we go back and tell John, we don't want to just say Jesus said. We want to say Jesus said is the one. And you know what? We kind of believe it because he has done all of these things. But then after they went back, Jesus turned to the crowd, and this is what he says. He says, yes, I tell you that among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than Yochanan the Immerser. And this is the complete Jewish Bible version. This is the way the Jewish mind would have understood it. John the Baptist is what that means. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He says, from the time of Yochanan the Immerser until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence. Just violent ones are trying to snatch it away. And from the day John the Baptist showed up on the scene, when he showed up and started baptizing people, the religious leaders showed up and started, who give you the authority to do this? Why are you doing this? What's going on? Who are you? And he kept saying, hey, it's not about me. It's a point about Jesus. And there's one coming whose who's, uh, shoes I'm not even able to lace or worthy to lace, and he's going to baptize you with fire. He kept pointing people to Jesus, even to the point where when Jesus showed up, he told his disciples, look, there he is. That's the one that you should be worshiping and you should be following. All right? So he says, uh, yeah, even violent ones are trying to snatch it away. Then he says this, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until Jaconan or Jonathan, John indeed. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Eliyahu, or Elijah, whose coming was predicted. Now, just bear with me for a moment. They would have known what he was talking about. Because the, the prophecy said that, hey, before the Messiah comes, that Elijah is going to come, which a lot of them didn't understand because Elijah died hundreds of years ago. But Jesus says, hey, if you can understand it, if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah whose coming was predicted. And he says, if you have ears, then hear. In other words, listen to the truth that I'm trying to share with you. I want you guys to hear what I'm saying. And he was trying to tell them not just who John the Baptist was, but who he was. And sometimes when we talk to people, we don't really hear what they're saying. We don't hear the anger in what they're saying. We don't hear the frustration in what they're saying. We don't hear the truth in what they're saying. We see all the angry rants on Facebook that someone's making, and we're like, oh, there goes so-and-so again complaining about this or that. But we don't see the pain and the struggles that they may be dealing with and why they're making it. We see the coworker, or we hear the coworker who's throwing a tangent about having to come in early and who's getting in trouble because they're constantly coming in late, and we don't hear the reason why is because maybe you know they're they're a single parent and they're struggling to get their kids ready and out the door and make it to the bus. We don't listen to people anymore. And what Jesus was was fond of saying was, hey. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I am trying to tell you something. I need you guys to listen to me. And one of the ways that we can just be kind to people is just stop and listen to them. That may mean we put the phone down. 
That may mean we spend time just, 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 just hearing what they have to say and not automatically forming responses and, oh, that's this and this in our, in our head. But maybe hearing the hurt, hearing the anguish, hearing the pain, hearing the struggles that they're dealing with. And this last one is a favorite of mine. Just share a meal with people. Food and fellowship throughout the Bible, right? And, and, and our, in, in our minds, one of the things that, that the ways that we have cultivated this church setting, uh, especially for youth, is that we teach the youth um, all the things in the Bible, and we think Sunday school is the best avenue to do that. And I'm not shooting down Sunday schools, but from a Jewish concept, a lot of their teachings took place at home around food. They did teach, you know, Jewish teachings, and especially today they do it in the synagogues, but a lot of the culture was based around food. A lot of the feasts that they have was God saying, hey, I want you to celebrate and remember this event and do it with a meal. And so I'm going to take a look at one as we, as we wind down. In the book of Exodus, and you guys are familiar with the Passover, Ten Commandments. I know that's future holidays away, but... Uh, what God communicated to them in the book of Exodus, he says, for that night, and he's talking about Passover, I will pass through the land of Egypt, kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and animals, and I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Future date, I know we've been through Genesis. When we go through Exodus, uh, we'll dig into this more uh, because it wasn't God saying, hey, I'm just after Pharaoh. Uh, it was, hey, I am executing judgment against all of the gods of Egypt. And there are some theologians that believe that some of those gods, just false idols, meant nothing. But they think some of them had some demonic background. Again, when we get into the book of Exodus, we'll talk about that. Uh, but he says this, the blood will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over, Hebrew, Pasach, you, when I strike the land of Egypt. The death blow will not strike you. But then he says this, this will be a day for you to remember and celebrate as a festival to the Lord. Some of your uh, Bibles say a celebration. Some of them say as a service. Some of them say as a remembrance. Uh, the complete Jewish Bible says a festival because the, words that you, the word that is used means a festival celebrated with a feast. It was meant to be around food. And even today, and many Jewish homes, when they celebrate the Passover, they do what's called a Seder meal. We did one a couple of years ago that Stephen led us through. We did a very scaled down one. Uh, but part of that is remembering this with food and sharing about what God done. He says, from gener generation to generation, you ought to celebrate it by a perpetual regulation. And then he goes in and he describes the detail. And then in verse 24, he says this, you are to observe this as a law, meaning it's non-negotiable. You and your descendants forever. When you come to the land which the Lord will give you, Adonai, as he has promised, you are to observe this ceremony. So he says, this is non-negotiable. When you get into the promised land, you guys are to remember this day, the day that God passed over you. And again, we'll get into that in more detail. But part of that, he says, was when your children ask you, what do you mean by this ceremony? And one of the ways that they celebrate it today, during the Seder dinner, there is a portion where the youngest child will ask, why are we celebrating this? Not in the way our kids ask, like, why don't we go to church? Why do I got to go to bed? Blah, blah, blah. Not in the whining way, but in the, why are we celebrating this? What does this mean? And he says, say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Pesach, Passover, 
because Adonai, that's the Lord, passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt. The idea was that, hey, you're supposed to have a meal, and during that meal, you're supposed to share with generation after generation and families and everyone, hey, here's what God did for us. It's a time that the Jewish community took seriously to the point where all of their fellowships, all of their meals, all of their festivals, during the mealtime, they would reiterate to the next generation, here's why we're celebrating this. Here's why this is important. Now, we may not do that. Doesn't mean that you invite someone out to coffee just so you can hit them over the head with the Bible. But it is an important time where you can, during the meal, you'll be able to share, hey, this is who, part of who I am as you get to know one another, as you fellowship with one another, and part of who you are is, well, here's why I'm a Christ follower. Here's, here's, here's why I, I spend so much time in church. Um, the church that Christy and I used to go to in Virginia, people used to, I had family members that were like, you must be in a cult because you're there all the time. And some of them, when I got to hang out with them or on the phone, I would, we'd sit and we'd share a meal, and I'd be like, well, this, this is why this place is so important to me, and these people are so important to me, and they're like family to me. And when you're sharing a meal, I was going to say, nothing can go wrong when you're sharing a meal with someone. No one can argue in front of food, but Thanksgiving's coming up, and people all over the nation are going to prove me wrong. But normally when you're sharing food with someone, it's a time of just peace and relaxation, and you're sharing food, and you're talking about your lives. So this is, this is a great thing to, to invite people into your life, Listen to the people that you invite into your life. Spend time hearing what they have to say, not just pushing our agenda on them. And again, don't do any of this as a way to, I'm just doing this to invite you to church. Do it to get to know people and share a meal with people. We're going to share a meal later, uh, but right now I wanted to share communion because one of the things I thought was awesome is that uh, God laid out, hey, this is supposed to be a time where you get to share this theological truth. Here's what God did. Here's how he saved the nation. Jesus took that, and he did the same thing. In a meal with his disciples, he didn't share, hey, here's this theological truth to look back on. He shared, here's this theological truth to look forward to. And, and really quick, uh, as the ushers come forward, I'm going to read this out of 1 Corinthians. It says, for I have received... Received from the Lord himself, excuse me, that which I passed on to you, it was given to me personally, that the Lord Jesus in the night he was treacherously delivered up, and while his betrayal was in process, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this to call me affectionately to remembrance, or what many of us know as in remembrance of me. He said, hey, this particular, every aspect of that meal uh, would point back to something that God had done. He said, hey, we're sitting here, we're sharing this Passover meal together. I want to let you know it's going to point forward to something that I'm going to do for you. And then Paul says this, similarly, when supper was ended, he took the cup, also saying this cup is the new covenant ratified and established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to call me affectionately to remembrance. Or again, as we're commonly, do this in remembrance of me. And each, each portion uh, of the meal, there was a, a cup of wine that was served, and this was the last cup, we're told biblically. And he took that last cup and he said, hey, this now, 
is going to represent that I'm going to shed my blood for you. So he, during a meal, shared this theological thing and, and, and this theological truth. And then what Paul does is he takes it another level because as he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says this, he adds this. He says, for every time you, Corinthians, even though I'm not there sh sharing a meal with you, I want to write to you and say every time that you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're representing and signifying and proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. So Paul said, I'm not sharing a meal with you, but I'm going to write to you and let you know that when you do this, you're sharing another theological truth, that God is coming back for you, that Jesus is going to return. So I wanted us, uh, before we share the regular meal, pizza, wings, all that stuff, to share and partake of communion. And coming up uh, in a couple of weeks uh, at the end of the year, we're going to do a series on, not a series, a teaching on communion. Because it's a church thing. That's the way a lot of people see it. But it's actually not. It's probably one of the most spiritually intimate things that you can do, in my mind. Uh, because we are not only reflecting on what Christ did for us. We're looking forward to the continuation of what he's going to do for us when he comes back. So I'm going to ask you guys if you could, uh, and can one of you grab the, uh, the juice out of the office? While they're doing that, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray. God, we thank you so much for just, again, your grace, your mercy, and your love. We thank you that your word says that while we were not just sinners and separated from you, but while we were enemies of yours, that you sent your son to die for us so that we might be part of your family, that we might remove any separation that existed between you and us, and that we might get the joy of spending eternity with you. As we partake of these communion elements, we pray that you would just let your spirit speak to our hearts and bring us to that place where we are just sitting and grateful and thankful and acknowledging that your body was indeed broken for us, that your blood was indeed poured out for us, and that as we partake of these elements that we hopefully are rejoicing at the fact that you are coming back for us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen.